Welcome to Opposable Thumbs, a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. My name is Rob Ray. I use he, his gender pronouns. I'm a designer by day and an artist by night, and I make music and objects using the name Shimmering Trashpile. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, DIY enthusiast, CAD CAM evangelist, noted tall person, Midwestern Viking, full-time child care specialist, and I'm a he, his kind of guy. Woo! COVID life. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, dude. Yeah, I just got out of a big meeting today. All the all the parents at my teaching institution getting together trying to figure, like, what do we even want to ask for? It's just, it's wow. it's hard to even frame the need yep. right now. But CPS just went all online. And so there's all these people just wigging out, trying to yep. think of what they're going to do with their kids all day. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Mohit Boyt is a person that Taylor brought up last episode as a inspiring creative person. And so uh That's a cool dude. Yeah, we've decided to dig in a little bit on his work. Um Taylor, I was curious how you landed upon his work because there was a couple of intersections that I saw as possibilities. One of them is he has a really great use of like jigs and fixtures. And so was that how you got there or mm-hmm. was it just a sort of random stumbling or or what happens you know in previous iterations of the podcast we've had such a there's been a much more clear directive for the two weeks right so we would say okay we're all going to work on you know a challenge that's whiteness or whatever it happens to be and now it's been so much more floaty that i feel like in each episode we bring up a couple of ideas like jigs or this or that or you know you you're really into dusting so that's always Uh on my mind (laughs) um so it's I can I can no longer really remember which reason that I came to things for, and then also uh, I'm trying to develop all of my coursework for my incoming students in fall, my college students, so that if the institution goes offline for a period or entirely, that the class will be effectively uninterrupted. Yeah. So right. that's been a real sort of uh, jigsaw puzzle. For example, I really want to run a Mohit um, or you know a a Yuri Prouse project where um you know they have to take little rods and solder them together and put in little tiny surface mount leds and so forth but i can't figure out if i can feel responsible about making him buy a soldering iron and all that because uh-huh. many of them right. would not return yeah um but man wait, w- once we're having full-on face-to-face classes in the future i really want to bring this up in my sculpture classes and so forth so it, it may have been a curricular development thing but i'm not sure oh cool cool yeah, you know, it's one of those days where you've got like 80 tabs open and then yes. you just have no idea how you got there. Yeah. yeah. I thought I could describe Mohit's work a little bit for someone who didn't listen to last episode. And also sure. it's kind of my takeaway. And and I, I wonder, for example, if we should also be saying at the top of each podcast, you know, don't forget to check your screen because we'll have yes. visual aids. Moon buildings would be blown up like balloons. They would be easier to send to the moon than metal buildings. That's right. Okay, uh, Mohit Boyd uh, makes what he described as, and I thought it seemed really accurate, is free-formed circuit sculptures. It was interesting. He sort of said, like, I don't use, I don't use a circuit board as like the primary connection mechanism, which is where sort of electronics has gone, right? Like. Everything is attached to a board. And so he sort of outlined in his talk these sort of histories of the work he's doing around dead bug um, connection, which which is like a 
It's called dead bug because when you flip a IC over on its back, it looks like a dead bug. Or air wiring or point-to-point, these different kind of approaches that existed mm-hmm. historically before circuit boards were easy to get a hold of. Uh, it was I mean, cool. the, the first breadboard was literally a, a board for putting bread on, right? Bread a big on it, piece yeah. of wood. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. That's really, really cool. And I think of wire wrapping, Taylor. Have you ever done wire wrapping? You know, it was it was talked about when I was in grad school. Yeah. So there were definitely some old hands that had been into it, but I, I never had a wire wrapping gun or anything. And I th- I think of wire wrapping as a part of breadboarding where you sort of, I mean, kind of just drive nails or brass rods or something into the board. And mm. those are your attachment points. And you sort of wrap the wire on each end of a resistor or something around those. Um, and they make these really nice kind of almost springy, corkscrewy kind of wrapped shapes. Is that related to the Manhattan style? Oh, I of, don't know. Are you familiar with that? No. I, th- I think that has to do, I, I'll try to find a picture so we can put it up. But it has to do with laying out your electronics in such a way that, you know, you've got your um, your power and your neutral buses and then things hook into them in this very grid-like fashion. And then you wind up with something that looks sort of like a map of Manhattan afterwards. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And so um, so Moet uses brass rods instead of copper wire because brass has it's got zinc in it so and it's more rigid. Um, and he's using 0.8 millimeter. He said he uses 0.5, 0.8, and 1 millimeter rods. So 0.8 was his kind of go-to shape. He then forms those brass rods into cool kind of sculptural shapes. Uh, and those sculptural shapes I think of as being, in a way, sort of very connected to the the physical shape of the electronics component. So mm-hmm. if he has an IC that's got eight legs on each side, you're going to kind of see this eight-legged extended structure coming off the integrated circuit and almost this kind of more exaggerated spider leg kind of look. Yeah, so they they become structural and aesthetic. And through that, he sort of figures out all these components don't need to just lay on their stomach. You could turn some on their side, and then through doing that, you could make a cube shape. He sort of gives himself this freedom to explore the spatial orientations to create interesting shapes. The thing I took away the most from my own work... um, is something really basic, but something I never, ever, ever do. And he really shared the power of it in an interesting way, which is creating paper templates for stuff. Mm-hmm. And Taylor, yep. do, you, do you do that much? So I've definitely done it, especially when working in the shop, where this is a little different than what you're asking, but I'll try to make my cut sheets look kind of designed mm-hmm. because the process, you know, the time it takes to lay it out in a way that's pleasing just makes me spend more time with it. Yeah. And then by the time I get to the cutting stage, generally I think more of the questions have automatically answered themselves. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like whenever I go on uh, Stack Exchange to ask a question, I think every single thing I put on Stack Exchange I've come back and just answered myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> Although lately I'm having more success. But yeah, so the framing of the question really helps. But Mohit is just doing that really standard issue, you know, prints out the one-to-one template, lays the mm-hmm. wires down on top. That that seems really useful. Taylor, I sent you over an image. You see it's called 01-paper-templates. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll post this in chapter art so people can see it. A light bulb came on for me that I, I thought was particularly interesting. Like in some cases, right, he has to make up essentially a square out of brass mm-hmm. wire. So he has to draw out a piece of wire and then put three bins in it. Um, one, two, three, and that will make a square because each bin is 90 degrees. But what he has in his drawings also is each component drawing and stuff. Do you think 
those are coming out of Eagle or some software layout tool to get the component drawings, or you think he's drawing those by hand? It, they sure look that way. Yeah. Because the the pads have the kind of correct oblong shape. Yep. So if you're actually going to have an IC that's part of a library definition in Eagle or whatever, I, I think he might have talked uh, literally talked about KiCad in yep. his IO talk. I could be wrong. Yep. And I'm more of an Eagle guy than a KiCad guy, but... Um, Oh, and you know, now that I think about it, right, so those those programs, when you're designing for PCB manufacturer, as you probably know, you have one view that shows you the schematic, yeah, and then that features these sort of abstract wires that are flying all over the place, yeah, um, and that are just sort of um, metaphorical, yep, and then you've got the layout view, and that's going to be very concerned with the exact dimensions of the footprint and exactly where the traces go and so forth, so yeah, he's probably just using layout view. Um, and then maybe mixing it up with a, a graphic design program. Or yeah. Something. So I really, really like that he is sort of bending this tool that is used for circuit board layout into making not circuit board layouts. You know, like mm-hmm. like sure. he's he's taking Eagle or something or KiCad or whatever it is to to make it do what he wants in a way that's kind of not probably not a way anyone ever imagined it being used, which felt really really powerful and really cool. So I have been working on a guitar making project uh with a friend of mine nice yeah and uh it's going really well it's not a project we've ever done before it's the the end result is that will be a guitar for her she wanted to learn how to play guitar and so we're Mm -hmm. we thought we would make one instead of buy one an electric guitar that's right yep yep yeah it's sort of uh for guitar players sort of telecaster style looking guitar it's uh really new for us to do something that requires so much painting and sanding oh my gosh like it's, it's a lot um we have a little paint booth that we made with a with a fan and stuff and uh but the thing i'd never really done before and i and mohit's um talk um cued this up for me was that the headstock on the guitar the part where you have the tuning pegs is just a flat blank it's it it's sort of designed for you to cut it yourself you know and i have a bandsaw mm-hmm. so i was like okay yeah cool you know i'll just uh figure out what the shape is and i'll i'll cut it out somehow and hopefully not mess up can i can i give you a factoid there real quick yeah please i think so so you have a kit but you have to cut the headstock yourself right that's right yeah so yeah i believe if i'm not mistaken that um there was trouble copywriting the body shape because those are so universal but it's actually the headstock that really identifies a guitar as being from a particular producer and so Whoa. I think it's not possible to put those headstocks in kit form without the user finishing it without running into copyright problems. Whoa, that answers so many questions I had because <laughs> there is no woodworking other than, well, sorry, there is no wood shaping involved in any other part of the guitar. And right. I was like, that is a strange thing. Like I could see where you would want to customize it, but you've already bought into like the Telecaster look, you know? Yeah. That is really interesting. Okay, so... What I what I did decide to do, and I'll um I'll post it in our chapter, which is I did do paper templating to figure out what I wanted the headstock to look like. Nice, and it was really smart. I printed them out, and then what we did is we did this kind of I don't know graphite pencil lead transfer technique, right, where you sort of mm-hmm. draw on the line on the back of the paper, and then you trace on the other side of the paper, and that transfers the pencil line onto the wood. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, that's that's what I did do all day in um, high school instead of paying attention. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you want to make a mirrored drawing, you work on the one half and then you yes. can fold it down the middle. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'd never d- death band I'd never logo. really done that before. I don't know. You know, like it never came up for me somehow. And so um, that was kind of my interpretation, the sort of thing I immediately lifted from Mohit's work um, and used for myself. Yeah, I think I think there is a pressure in our field to for the solution to involve a lot of satellites and whatever, and yep. and you kind of leave some of the simple solutions behind. Yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I also really dig. So you're working with a kid that's how old? Uh, just turned well, just 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 turned eighteen. Oh, interesting. So a, a perfect age, right? Where you still have a yes. lot to convey, but they are a completely able yes. fellow adult. That's right. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's really rad. Yep. So Taylor, thanks so much. That was really a great exploration into an artist whose work I didn't know particularly well. Mm-hmm. You know what's cool is um, one of the images, and I'll we'll post this in chapter art. He actually solders on the like while it's attached to the paper template. My mistake would be I would draw the paper template, bend my wires into shape, and then try to solder them preform. And instead, what he does is he tapes the wire onto the template itself. And uses it as like a holding uh, device. Yeah, yeah, I, I did some of this as well. That's a really I mean, if, cool. if if you like, we can take a look at the images. I, I sent you a couple of pictures oh, of trying yeah. a a full on build. And then for for a shout out on the jigs, you know, and we want to see more jigs, right? We love the jigs. Yep. Yep. Uh, Fieldstone Arts, which um, that's right, appears to be a fellow with a um, furniture making woodworking business had posted some nice little jigs that had to do with the classic problem when you're trying to clamp things together at um, an angle that's not 90 degrees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so making a jig that has the inverse shape to your angle so when the two pieces are clamped, they form a nice little 90-degree package. It's a smooth little guy. That is cool. Yep. Uh, when I say smooth little guy, I mean the solution, not the person. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, here, I'll show you. If you take a look on Slack, I posted a couple of images... Wow, this is cool. So Taylor has definitely dug in to using some brass rod and created this really cool square with a kind of cross in between. It almost looks like a miniature table, but made out of like a wireframe version of a table. It has four legs that it's standing on. And there's little surface. That's really cool. You did surface mount LEDs right? for those the four. Uh, at, at each corner, there's a surface mount LED that's lit up. Taylor, who was the person you mentioned their name last episode? Who who made these really elegant kind of pockets for the for the um, coin cell? Was oh, it Yuri Press? Yuri Press? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are so great, and it's really cool that you 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 tackled that here, which is um, the coin cell instead of being held by a kind of uh, circus circuit boardy fixture whole thing. I like circus piece, board. Piece plastic <laughs> circus board. <laughs> um, <laughs> That the coin cell is sort of held by the wires that it's using to uh, charge, which is really cool. I can I can put information up to anybody that wants it, but some of the gotchas and interesting stuff to find. So much like never having worked with paper templates before, and mm-hmm. then realizing, oh yeah, you know, air exists, and unless I was doing <laughs> the same thing. Uh-huh. Um, similarly, I'd, I'd never bothered to get a flux pen before. Oh, and right. so that was one of the things from the I/O talk that yep. Mohit really recommended. Yep, and I still. I still don't have a great sense of how much it's improving things, but you know, I'm, I'm finally graduating into something that everyone talks about all the time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Flux, if I'm not mistaken, just helps um, prevent oxidization, which will interfere with your solder joint. Right, right. And then the I found the wire kind of hard to get. So I think you can do this with any old wire that's, of course, has no cladding on it. 
But um, in this case, they were suggesting rods, which were slightly fatter. Mm-hmm. And there's, I said, you know, I remember in the days of my youth, Rob, when Radio Shack still existed and so on, you know, every single model store would have that little K&S um, That's right. setup where they'd have all the yep. little metal shapes. Yep. And it was really hard to find. So I had to go to Ace Hardware, and then each of them is individually managed. So some would have it and some wouldn't. And the one that did have it that I found, the little display was like, uh, I'd say a quarter full. And I asked wow. the owner yeah. about it and they said, yeah, we're probably just going to let sunset those once they're all sold out. So it, it's getting a little harder to get it directly. I, I couldn't find on Amazon anyway, just to order a whole bunch of rods at 0.8 millimeters, which is mm-hmm, what they mm-hmm. suggested. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, it took a lot to sort of find those. But then once I was working with them, it was really easy. And um, I would just uh, put out a piece of um, blue painter's tape and wrap it around in a loop so it's like uh, the, the poor man's double-sided tape. And then stick it down to the table and then just lay all my stuff on top of that. So while I wasn't printing a template, everything was sort of held in place and flat. And then if you work fast enough, it doesn't really uh, set the tape on fire. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, so that worked pretty well. That's really great. Uh, and then just the, the surface mount LEDs were sort of a pain. You really have to solder on the backside because the front side, uh, well, there's surface mount, so there's no pads, you know, and what we would think of as the correct orientation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was pretty fiddly working with it, but the tape solution helped a lot. And then, um, yeah, you just also have to fiddle with the battery so that it's tight enough to act as a spring, but not so tight that you just break all your joints when you stick the stuff in there. I was going to ask you about that, how it um, went. Uh, the, I mean, I've got a pretty nice solder station, uh-huh. so that was good. And I, I used a brand new tip, so um, I didn't have to let the you know solder soldering iron sit on something for a long time. But mine is certainly way uglier than Mohit, so you know I could I could get it to work, but I need some more practice for sure. But nothing's broken. I, I need to just light it up and see how long it lasts. But it's it's pretty it's pretty bright. I mean, in these designs, we're not using resistors or anything, so I imagine the LEDs will have a shortened lifespan. But they look pretty good while they're doing it. Yeah, that's really cool. Live fast oh, yeah, and leave right. a beautiful corpse, Rob. <laughs> I think one of the things that would be scary to me is actually trying to get that right angle correct in order for it to stand upright correctly. And I was just mm-hmm. curious how that went. Oh yeah, I mean I made it and it was super wobbly and then I just uh-huh. started cutting cutting down little pieces until the legs all laid right. So this uh-huh. was uh-huh. this was not a precision operation. <laughs> um, although I did get some of those clippers in that we talked about that had the retaining clip. So you go ahead to cut the piece and then there's a little spring-loaded um finger that keeps one of those elements from flying off into space. And oh, okay. it's it's great. I really really recommend you pick one up. You're going to love it. Oh, that's cool. Taylor, should I should I share the person I'm inspired by? I wish you would. All right. Oh, uh, this looks good. This is not a person I know personally, um, but whose work I really enjoy. Emily Velasco is uh, their name. Taylor, do you want to describe what you're seeing? Yeah, sure. So these are uh, photos from Instagram, and I'm assuming that they are materials that are bound in resin, but you're going to... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me if I'm wrong or not. I, th- I think you're right. That's all I know, too. Yep. They look like squares that are, the scale is impossible for me to tell, but then yep. they're not very deep. So mm-hmm. then you've got a sort of clear and maybe slightly milky resin um, that I'm assuming was poured into a form in um, batches. Mm-hmm. So you might pour like an eighth of an inch in and then put a bunch of glitter or other kinds of materials in there in a starburst pattern. Mm-hmm. 
not symmetrical, kind of uh, really energetic. And then you could layer them one on top of the other. It it reminds me that there's this guy I took uh, drawing classes from in college called Mike Javernick. I don't know what he's doing right now. I should look him up. But, but he would make these, um, take these big um, pits of, you know, like casts of resin. And as they were hardening, he would inject blobs of ink into them with a syringe. Oh, nice. And it kind of reminds me of that. So maybe they're, maybe they're applied in the same way where the syringe starts deep. And then as they pull it out, they're squeezing ink in or something. It looked yeah. cool. Yeah, they're really cool. I, I think what's happening, Taylor and I will maybe dig into this a little bit more. Um, I think what's happening is those are iron filings and resin. Oh, that's a, much cooler than glitter. And then a magnet or a, something is being used to create oh. this explosion pattern mm-hmm. of the filings in the resin. And then the resin hardens and that shape is being held in the resin. Cool. So imagine an ice cube, right, with sort of shape with iron filings in it in this really great like exploding pattern <laughs> but we'll see we'll find out uh i don't have a video or anything uh but i did link to we'll link to this person's instagram uh account oh and then i see just looking at her account emily makes m-l-e underscore makes yep but she's also appears to be working with the same um RGB LED matrix library that I'm working with. Oh, cool, cool. Because I can see this specific test pattern that makes a uh, makes a rainbow kind of amorphously oh, yeah. appear. That's cool. Yeah, so I wonder if we've got more in common. Nice, that's great. Cool. Well, Taylor, that that's all I got. Do you have any links or anything that you want to share? Let people things you want to let people know about. Yeah, a, a couple of things. I've been kind of working my tush off with this uh, collaborative to get a big piece done that's going to be on fire, and we've had a lot of success lately. You were really helpful helping me frame some of the software questions. But uh, I'm going to have a big um, sort of push out to GitHub that's public once the whole thing's done. But it includes uh, setting a pie up to automatically stream to Twitch, which was surprisingly easy. Um, so that's one thing. Now I've got a little headless unit that you just plug in and it automatically takes care of that. Uh, so we'll post that. And then on the propane control end, I found this great book. I think it's Timothy Deegan. Here, let me just pause for a sec with dead air that you can edit out. Oh, hey, I got it right. So, yeah, so there's a book, uh, Tim Deegan, called Make Colon Fire and has a bunch of examples of how the sort of Burning Man set controlled propane um, digitally. So they have those things like, uh, you know, those. have you ever seen those long tubes that you play sounds into and then you wind up getting effectively an equalizer in propane flames? Yeah, totally. So there's one of those in there. That's but awesome. But he, um, he proposes this idea for what he's calling a digital step valve. So say you wanted to control a fire and you don't want it just to be on and off, right? Because that would just be a solenoid. So instead, you can make a manifold where you have a pipe that, say, has five um, holes coming out of it. And then each of those holes goes to a needle valve, which closes the aperture down on the pipe. So let's say that each needle valve reduces the throughput to 20% of its total volume. And then after the needle valve, you have a solenoid. And then after that, all the pipes come back together again. So you start with one big propane supply you break it out into five pieces and then pull it back into five pieces. And what that lets you do is you can have one valve open for 20% propane, two valves open for 40 and so forth. 
So wow. in this way, you don't have to get like a really expensive, what are called proportional valves, which use a servo or a stepper to gate the propane in a way that's much smoother from zero to a hundred, right? Yeah. Wow. So that's step one, but then also so we don't kill anybody, um, a buddy of mine, um, Andy, uh, hooked me up with the Flaming Lotus Girls, uh, which is a group out of San Francisco, and they do a bunch of Burning Man stuff, like giant snakes that are you know blowing fire out of their mouths and that kind of thing. And so I've just started emailing with them, but they're really good about, really nice about sharing information and so on. So hopefully um, with what they know and what the folks I'm working with in the collaborative know, we can make something that's safe, but also kind of dangerous feeling. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I've never worked with fire. I can, I can't actually, that's the thing. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I've ever worked with fire. Hmm. After you guys make that guitar, you got to. That's right. It's like like in uh, Mad Max uh, Part 7 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I do have one link I wanted to share, and then we'll sign off. Um, yeah. My one link I wanted to share is, you know, God, so many, I, I feel like there's so many articles on the web, and I can't find the author's name. And it's mm-hmm. like, who wrote this thing? Anyway, I'll try to figure out who it is, and I'll post a link to it. But um, my uh, a collaborator of mine at work uh did this really, really cool thing. Um, she created, and it's inspired by this article that I'll post, but she mm. created a user guide for herself as a person. <laughs> and so what that means, and I'm going to I'm gonna read some quotes from this article that she sent along with her user guide to show me. And we, we talk about collaboration a lot on this show, so I wanted to, um, this is why I wanted to highlight it, which is this person wrote a user guide for other people to operate optimally with him as a person. (laughs) So it says like how he operates best when he might malfunction, how others can use him to their greatest success. The goal of a user guide is to set blindingly clear expectations on how to collaborate on how to collaborate without extra second guessing. Um, when you write one, the act speaks for itself. It says, I know you want to make me happy and I want to make you happy too because I really want you to succeed. Let's just make that easier for each other by drawing a social contract on how we can relate. It helps us feel okay being ourselves without being misunderstood and a powerful tool to scale fast. And so I got really into this and um, mm-hmm. Katya sent me hers and it's really great. And what it prompted me to do was to ask people I work with, I, I created a Google form that just is titled criticism only and so I asked collaborators of mine to only give me criticism. Don't give me any <laughs> praise and just... Oh, that's so great. Just fire off on no me. No shit sandwiches, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it is a little harsh, I have to say, <laughs> but 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 Rub. also really good. Rub, so, do, do you have to go to a meeting in 30 seconds? I do have to go to a meeting in 30 seconds. Oh, I want you but, to read this so bad. I want to yeah. hear some of them. <laughs> yeah. So, so this will be our cliffhanger for the next episode. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, wow. Yeah. So anyway, I'll, I'll share some link to that. Cool. Um, well, I know you got to go, but we, yep. so we're going to be working, um, uh, using Emily's work as inspiration. Right. Yep. And then we'll try to reach out to Rohit now that we've yes. explored his work and maybe Yuri and see if they want to check in or something. That's and I right. think there's also a couple more engagements we've had in terms of Deb sent in some cool examples of jigs yep. and that's right. So we got to find a way to get those onto the uh, podcast more reliably. Yep. Yep. For sure. For sure. Should Yay. we just hang up? Do you really have to go? Yeah, we should hang up. Yep. I'll, uh, okay. I'll, uh, I'll, yep. Cool. <laughs> I'll check you later, man. That was great. Cool. Thank you, Taylor. See you. Bye. Bye.
Cool. 